What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we share out all of our new content, whether it be podcasts, articles, news and notes, any bit of fantasy baseball content you guys can find at EthosFantasyBB. Now, if you're not somebody who uses social media, fear not, go to sportsethos.com. You get all that same great content right from the source. It is one of the reasons, though, if you are somebody, specifically, I mean, anybody, really, but if you don't use social media, why I do recommend subscribing to the podcast. You don't have to go searching for links every single day. They just get downloaded right into your feed. They're right there waiting for you as soon as I post them or within 10 minutes or so. It's a lot easier than having to hunt through feeds and look up online and different things that I know I've had to do for certain podcasts. If you enjoy it, which I hope you do if you're here, uh, it's definitely a lot easier to be hitting the subscribe, and then you just get them automatically every single day. Now, we're going to talk about some of the big news over the last couple of days. Obviously, we have Tyler Glass now getting traded. That's a huge one. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest, because he's leaving my division in the American League East, but he's just adding to that juggernaut that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll talk about him. <clears throat> we will double back and talk about the Tyler O'Neill trade because we didn't really talk about it when it had happened. I think that's going to be something that is kind of important for fantasy this year. Jung Hoo Lee has signed with San Francisco. Big contract. We're going to talk about that as well. And lastly, we're going to talk about Max Scherzer today because Max Scherzer is going to be out for half the year, which is something I would have loved to have known before I drafted him uh, about a month ago in that live Arizona draft. But regardless, that's the way of the game, especially early drafting. you got to kind of just Take what it gives you. We're not going to talk about every single free agent move today. I don't think we need to go over Michael Waka in a terrible amount of depth. We'll talk about him at some point. We're going to go through pitcher projections. We'll do a Kansas City Royals preview, and we'll do all that stuff. And we will get to him, but I don't think it's that important that we need to devote much time to him on today's show. We're going to be hitting some kind of big players, some kind of big points, and we're going to stick to that. But before we really get into it, I want to say a big congratulations to someone who is a very, very, very good friend of mine. Chris Welsh, the Welsh. Is it the Welsh? You guys know him from different variations of the Welsh name. You've heard him on The Athletic. You've heard him on CBS. You've heard him on Fantasy Pros. Obviously, In This League is what he does with another good friend, Scott Bogman. That is their home podcast, but Chris has been doing little guest appearances like once or twice a week on all of these shows for the whole year. Hoping, we were all hoping for Chris, that somebody would just hire him full-time because, I mean, God damn, I don't know if anybody works as hard as Chris in this field. He also covers football. He's doing multiple sports at the same time. Well, Chris announced today that he is going to be, as he put it, getting a ring put on his finger by Fantasy Pros. Chris is now a full-time member of the Fantasy Pros team. Baseball, dynasty football, betting, all of that great stuff you're going to be able to get from our good friend, the Welsh. You've heard him on this show uh, five times or so. Obviously, I think everybody who's listening, or at least a good majority of you, know who Chris Welsh is, and I think we can all recognize that he puts in fantastic work. So, Chris, if you're listening, just wanted to shout you out here, uh, as well as I did on Twitter. Just Chris is such a great guy. Take every chance that I will uh, that is provided to me to praise the guy because he just does such a great job. He has been a huge mentor to me over the last couple of years. You know, he'll always come on this podcast, which is considerably smaller than his own, and he'll make time for me. So it's always a lot of fun talking with Chris, and he's a great guy. I wanted to give him his flowers there, and it's great that the industry is giving him his flowers as well today. So well done, buddy. But let's talk, first of all, about this Tyler Glass now trade that kind of set the world on fire. <sighs> I don't know how to feel. <clears throat> I really don't know how to feel about it. I said it off the top. Now, there's a couple of different angles to it. Glass now was traded to the Dodgers, and then he signed today. A $135 million contract over five years. You're getting a $27 million annual hit 
for Tyler Glass now. They're probably thinking the Dodgers, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's free money at this point, right? And I know it's not really free money because they are going to have to pay Otani at some point down the line, but you got to think, right? I mean, even though Friedman is tied with Otani, Friedman and one other guy in the organization, I forget, because that was part of his stipulation, right? If uh, if Andrew Friedman gets fired and if one other person got fired, then Otani could opt out at the end of that season, whatever. I don't know if Friedman's going to be the guy there in 15, 17 years when Otani's contracts are being paid out, and they won't be paid out by Friedman anyway. So <clears throat> I feel like Los Angeles is kind of at a point where they are playing with house money to a certain extent, and Andrew Friedman probably is especially because they can't fire him. He is the most secure executive in all of pro sports at this point because they are literally like they cannot fire him. They cannot fire him no matter what he does. So this glass now contract goes belly up, it goes belly up. If it turns out great, then it looks great for Friedman. But I don't think there's a hell of a lot of worry, really, with the Dodgers, especially considering what they gave up. I know there's a lot of talk about Ryan Pepio, Ryan Pepio this, Ryan Pepio that. Some people are even saying Ryan Pepio is better than Tyler Glass. Now, for those people, I would recommend a lobotomy and doing something with your brain because I'm sorry, I don't mean to take a shot, but he is nowhere near as good as Tyler Glass now. You want to say, like, oh, you can project down the line and he's not have the same kind of injury history as Glass now, blah, blah, blah. But to say that Ryan Pepio right now is a better pitcher than Tyler Glass now is a drunk take. It is a truly drunk take, right? Well, Joe, he had a 214 ERA this year. Well, what about that? He pitched 42 innings. He stranded 99.2% of his base runners. We talk about left on base percentage pretty regularly on this show. 70 to 74%, sometimes 68, 69, 75. In that general range, that's what you're talking about for most pitchers. Generally speaking, 72 to 74 is pretty average. To strand 99.2% of your base runners, what, do you allow one base runner to score the whole year? Yes, it's only 42 inning sample size, but people are pointing to it in that 214 ERA as like, oh my God, look at this. Look what the Dodgers just gave up. The Dodgers aren't a stupid organization, right? They're not just going to take a crazy risk or whatever because, well, eh, maybe we'll take a risk, maybe we'll take a chance. No. They're not going to trade Pepio if they really thought he was a quote-unquote dude. There was a lot of parts in that organization in the minor leagues, you know, higher level of the minor leagues, lower level, whatever. They have a lot of parts that they could have traded. I don't know if Tampa demanded Pepio. I don't know what the situation was. <clears throat> but Ryan Pepio, I don't know if that the Dodgers, if they really thought they had a dude on their hands. You know, I'm trying to think in my head. How many times do the Dodgers have a quality pitcher, guy that they've brought up, developed, blah, 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 that they trade and then flourishes elsewhere? Off the top of my head, and I might be just missing somebody, but I can't really think of many times where the Dodgers kind of just give up on a young pitcher, right? I know they're getting back a Tyler Glass now in return, but it's not very commonplace to see a team like the Dodgers give up on somebody if they are so great, right? Not to take away from Pepio, I think he's still really good. He's got great control, but he got very lucky in his appearance at the Major League level this past season. You want to talk about 2022? It was also pretty damn lucky. He stranded 86% of base runners. Now, he might be a guy who has a higher strand rate. There are guys who have like 80, 84% strand rates. Better pitchers are going to strand more base runners, right? But he's not going to strand anywhere close to 99% of base runners, right? He had a 214 ERA, but he had a 399 XFIP. He had a 418 FIP, and he had a 357 Sierra. They're still good numbers, but they're not like blow you away. Galas now has some of the best per inning numbers in the game. Like he is a comp to Jacob deGrom to Spencer Strider. That is the same breath that Tyler Glass now would be breathing. That's the same air he'd be breathing if he was fully healthy, right? And I saw a great tweet. I uh, forget who it is now. I would credit them, but it was um, talking about Glass now and DeGrom. And they said the best thing about Glass now is that you can compare him to Jacob DeGrom. 
the worst thing about Glass now is that you can compare him to Jacob DeGrom. And I think I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that was generally the gist of it. But that's how good Glass now is, right? Whether Pepio is a you know projecting as a number two, a number three, a number four starter down the line, I don't know what he is. People are probably going to say he's projecting as an ace. He's going to Tampa, and Tampa's got the whole devil magic thing going on all the time. They dropped the devil out of their name. It became the Rays. And they seem to take that devil moniker and put it into whatever the hell goes into developing their players. Because I don't know where it comes from a lot of the time. But all that being said, I don't know that Ryan Pepio is really going to turn into the player that people think he is. Is he going to be as good as Tyler Glass now on a per-inning basis, on a per-season basis? Never in a million years. I'm sorry to say he's just never going to have that same kind of upside, right? We're talking about a guy who's probably going to have like a 24 25% peak strikeout rate in the big leagues. Maybe he gets like 26%. But he's right now, over his two seasons in the big leagues, <clears throat> and again, we're talking a very small sample size here of 78 innings, 25% K rate, 10% walk rate, a little bit high there. I mean, the whip has been good. But overall, like I just don't look at this profile, especially with how lucky he has been so far. And that's what it really comes down to, right? People are going to value Pepio. Most people are not prospect analysis people, right? They're, I'm not one of them. There, I mean, I can go and look through a stat sheet, watch some film, and tell you what I think. But there's not a hell of a lot of people out there who really have a high knowledge of prospects. If a lot of people out there are saying they love Pepio, <clears throat> it's because they love the fact that he had a 2.14 ERA last year, and he has a 2.76 ERA through his first 70-some-odd innings, right? That's where it comes from. It's not from the fact that a lot of these people watch him. And I'm not taking away from the people like Welsh, we mentioned earlier, who you damn know did watch him. Welsh, Clegg, Cross, and James Anderson, those are kind of my go-to four guys for Dynasty. You know these guys are, are plugged in, and they know what they're talking about. But I think the vast majority of people are going to say, oh, my God, look at look at this, make, making this trade with Tampa, giving away Pepio. I just don't see it. I just don't see Pepio as being somebody who projects as such a great starter. Front-end starter, I don't see it. Now, Steamer's projections, they tend to agree with me right now. They have him going for 24 starts next year at a 22% K rate and a 9% walk rate, so about an average K rate with a slightly below average walk rate there. And then they're projecting a 447 ERA with a 133 whip. I know that Steamer is better at doing this than we are, and we got a first-hand look at it last year when they projected how I mean, look at Ryan Bloomfield's Bloom Board, right? I know a lot of people are going to know what I'm referencing here. Last year, Ryan caused a stir on Twitter because he posted the Steamer projections, and it had guys like Kikuchi having bounce-back seasons, Barrios having a bounce-back year. It had Luis Arias and Manoa falling off a cliff to some extent. Like It really pegged a lot of what was going to happen. I, I do like Steamer. I think that you can trust their projections. Whether or not you think it's perfectly accurate, Ryan Pepio is not going to be a stud in the major leagues next year. And you might think, well, they got time, right? He's already 26. It's not like they got some, you know, 22-year-old fireballer in AAA, whatever. Like, he's already kind of a little bit old for where you'd want him to be, developmentally speaking. It's not a terrible place to be. He just spent probably a little bit longer in the minors than I would have wanted. I mean, he's 2019 he started in the minors. He missed 2020, but he's been there pretty much the whole time, right? I just don't have a lot of faith in Ryan Papio to the point where I would be willing to say that he is going to be anything close ever to what Tyler Glasnow is going to be. Now, that's a lot about Ryan Pepio. Tyler Glasnow, like we mentioned, like I don't know that there is another guy who's more polarizing in all of baseball to rank, especially. When we are going to do our ranking shows, and there I have a special one planned that will be 
probably February. I know it's way in advance, but this one's been planned for a while where we're going to have Eno Saris and Nick Paul, Nick Pollock come onto the show together. I'm hoping we can still make that work because we talked about it in November in Arizona. It should still be able to, to work out. We're going to talk about players that are the hardest to rank. That's the plan as of right now. And I think Tyler Glasnow has got to be right at the top of that list, right? He just threw a career high in innings, which was 120. 120 innings is really not a hell of a lot at all. Now, Steamer, this is where I kind of do disagree with them sometimes, is on their actual innings pitched games played projections. Sometimes I think they can be a little out of whack. Now, when it comes to the rate stats, you know, strikeouts, strikeout percentage, walk rate, those kind of things, that's where you can really buy in. Now, they think Glasnow is going for 167 innings next year. It's definitely a possibility that he has turned the corner because, you know, he's been injury-plagued for a couple of years, but it was really that Tommy John that took him out for a couple seasons there. That's what everybody kind of points to. That's kind of the main injury there, and that's really what we're talking about here. And it's one Tommy John, right? It's just one Tommy John with glass now. I don't think there's a second one in this history. It's honestly hard to keep track of these pitchers with their Tommy Johns. I didn't realize that Cole Reagans, as a side note, had had two Tommy John surgeries already. I thought it was just one. But, you know, as a side note for the, for him... Um, two Tommy Johns for Reagans, but I think it's just one for Glass now. And at that point, I'm not going to be like you know sounding the alarm bells here, especially when we see how talented he is. Right, even this season, 21 games, which was you know the biggest sample size. People were worried, what's he going to look like? Blah blah blah. It was a 3.53 ERA, and you had some people saying, well, look, it wasn't that great. It was still really good, even if you just look at the results, it was still really good. But if you dig a little deeper, he had a 1.08 WHIP, a 25.8 strikeout minus walk rate. He had a Sierra of 3.08. He had an XFIP of 2.75. Tyler Glass now, when he's healthy, top three or four pitcher in all of baseball. It's just a matter of, are you going to get that health? And the Dodgers, I think, are kind of banking on it at this point. They're giving him the contract. But I honestly, like, I, I don't have that same kind of worry about a guy like Glass now that I probably would have a year ago at this time. Maybe it's just more time looking over these player pages, seeing the results another year, and just kind of developing my own process a little bit more. When a guy's healthy, he's healthy. When a guy's not healthy, he's not healthy. I know that sounds really stupid, but like, why am I going to discount a guy who's healthy right now, discount the skills or whatever it is, discount what I potentially could be getting because of the potential for injury? I understand that when a guy has been hurt more often than other guys in the past, it will lead you to have some pause with selecting those players in your drafts or whatever. But I just don't see that need with a guy who is currently at present time healthy and is really just the one major injury. There's a couple other ones, but it's the one major injury for Glasnow that has everybody kind of worried about him. I can't be that worried uh, at this point right now. I think that he's got to be somebody that you're taking in the third round of drafts. Maybe, you know, depending on your format, might be a fourth round guy if it's a 12-team or 10-teamer. Generally speaking, I think Glasnow is a third round guy. He's going to go between pick 35 and 45. And I'd be willing to pay the price, I think. Not in every league. And again, this is where it comes down to volume versus how many. That's a huge thing. If you're a volume player and you play in 150 leagues, like certain people in the industry that we know, then you can take glass now seven or eight times, and, well, it doesn't really matter. If you are, like a lot of people, you play one league, maybe you play two leagues. Like, let's say you play one points league, one category league, or maybe you just play one league altogether. that's where I'd start to have a little bit of worry with taking guys who do have an injury history, right? Not to say that Glasnow is even one of those guys, but if you are having one team for the year, I'd generally shoot for a fairly conservative build where you're not taking anybody with any kind of risks. And then, of course, you can still have things pop up throughout the year, but at least at that point, you're not setting yourself back as much right from the get-go, right? You're not taking guys who are currently hurt. And I think that's where I am with Glasnow. Like, he's, he's healthy, 
I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that you know he might have turned a corner this past season. He may have not turned a corner. He may still be a, a guy who's going to get hurt again. But as of right now, I've got, got a lot of faith in Tyler Glass now and where he's going in drafts. Let's talk about Jung Hoo Lee. I am still kind of in shock about how much money this guy got, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it was oh, sorry, $113 million for six seasons. 113 over six. You're talking about 18.8, just about $19 million a season for Jung Hoo Lee. Now, I'm at the point with him where I am pretty much calling it now he's Luis Arise. He is going to be a Luis Arise type with maybe a little bit more power, slightly, not maybe not slightly, like considerably less batting average, but that's the kind of guy I think that you can be looking at and say, yeah, that's that's who he is. If you look at projections for the next season, they are projected incredibly closely to each other. Uh, if you look at the batting average projections, Arise is obviously like way ahead there, but everything else, and I tweeted this out recently as well, is very similar. They're both projected for nine homers. They're both projected for six steals. Arise is projected for more runs, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to come true in that lineup. I feel like San Francisco's order is just as good as Miami's. Lee will be at the top of it somewhere. Good OBP guy. I think the runs are kind of maybe being overshot there with an 85 projection for Arise, but you're talking about 8.1 and 9.3% walk and strikeout for Lee, 7.7 and 7.1 for Arise. You're talking about very, very similar kind of profiles of guys who are going to be contact kind of hitters, not giving you a lot of power, not really a lot of speed either. Just a guy who is going to get a hell of a lot of hits. And you saw it every year playing in Korea. He never had a batting average below, this year was the lowest at 318. 318 was the lowest, right? So I think we're probably doing all right here. Uh, OBP, very routinely over 400. The worst on-base percentage he ever had in Korea was 386. He's literally Luis Arise. I don't have any other comp to give you or any other thing to say there, except if you are drafting him, that's what you should be expecting. A very high batting average. Not much else, though. Like, that's that's pretty much what you are going to be getting if you are taking Jung Hoo Lee. And I feel like with this price tag that he got, it's going to be getting out of hand. The price will get out of hand eventually. Now, has the NFBC put him in here as a member of San Francisco? He's not yet listed on the San Francisco page, which is curious. They're usually pretty on the on the on the ball about that. But let me just see now. I'm going to have to look manually uh, for his ADP. Forgive me. I figured that he would have been added already by now and it wouldn't be a thing I'd have to look for. But right now, he's going off the board at pick 359, which again, it's kind of factoring in a lot of earlier drafts as well. You do have to, you can set filters on the NFBC and you can just search from like December on. And if you're looking at December drafts, especially the very, like the most recent ones, you're paying inside of the top 300 ADP for Jung Hoo Lee. It's, honestly not bad at all like I know I've, I've talked to some people who say I don't know if I can get behind that at this point I don't know that I'm really getting you know a hell of a lot of production across the board it might just be batting average you're getting that same thing like I said with Arise maybe it's a few more runs but Luis Arise is going 150 picks earlier 163 is his ADP someone took Luis Arise at a minimum pick of 51 that's going to be a tough tough season for that person I would imagine but regardless here I think Lee is your discounted Luis Arise, your discounted batting average in drafts this season. It might continue to go up, and I think that price tag will have people kind of going, oh, shit, the Giants gave him a lot of money. I need to be you know, taking an interest in this guy for my fantasy teams. People will do that without looking into it. They'll just see the dollar value. And I'm not trying to say fantasy players are stupid. This is People will do this in the highest stakes leagues, you know, any leagues. 
oh, he just got a massive deal, $20 million. They see something in him, I'm going to draft him. I'm going to reach ADP by two rounds on him, so I make sure I get him. People do that kind of thing. It is a very regular thing to happen. I think that you can do it, and it's all right because the price is so suppressed. Even that, if he's going 285, 300, it's not really a range where you're getting a hell of a lot of value, especially in terms of outfielders. Outfielders die up so quickly. There is really nothing that you can get in terms of outfielders past pick like 300 or so. Usually speaking, you're talking about you're talking about crap, right? You're talking about guys that you're kind of speculating on. You're hoping for a miracle for a lot of them, you know, and guys that just don't have great profiles. Luis Renhifo is going way ahead. Uh, Tommy Pham going way ahead. Brian Dela Cruz, Nelson Velazquez. Eh, not sure I really want to take a chance on those guys. I think I'd go for Lee if those are the options. I think I would take Lee, and I think that he's going to be a fairly reasonable asset. But just, again, Luis Arise, put that into your brain. This is who he is. That's what he's going to give you this year. Now let's go back and talk about something that happened about a week ago. We haven't really gotten into it on the show. I don't even know that I would honestly had mentioned it. There's, there's a chance. When you do a show every day, it's very hard to keep track of what the hell's going on uh, because you figure, oh, did I talk about this on Tuesday? Did I talk about it on Monday? Have I talked about it at all? Did I tweet about it? You can very easily lose track of, uh, of the way things go. So I think we've mentioned Tyler O'Neill at some point, but we're going to get into it here right now. Tyler O'Neill is a member of the Boston Red Sox. He was traded for a couple of relievers. This is essentially a dump, which is really hard to believe considering what we saw from Tyler O'Neill a couple of years ago. He's only 28 years old. He's got a couple of gold gloves. He's only a couple of years removed from that season where he had, what was it, 34 home runs. My fan graphs page is having a bit of a heart attack right now. Um, but I believe it was, here we go. We are loading fan graphs sometimes. I love you, but sometimes I hate you. 34 home runs and 15 stolen bases in 2021, and he batted 286. Since then, we've seen the walk rate go up. We've seen the strikeout rate go down every year. But he didn't really get to play, and he was also hurt, so there's that. But I know that Ollie Marmol did not care for him. Ollie Marmol was not you know, going out of his way to play him, give him the chance to work through slumps and whatnot. Did not seem to get along very well. I'm very happy that he is out of that situation and we can see him in a very hitter-friendly ballpark in Boston. I don't know. I think Tyler O'Neill could very easily get back to what we saw a couple of years ago, and there's no reason for us to think that, like, oh, it was just a random season where he just popped off. I understand wanting to kind of think that it's not real, but it, I think honestly, truly, like that is who he is closer to than what we've seen these last couple of years. A guy who's going to be like a 25, 30 homer guy, even if you want to say 20, 25, but he's got so much strength, so much power. You know, I don't think calling a 30 home run season for him is really out of the question. I think that, you know, should be expected. 25 to 30 dingers. You're getting your 10 to 15 steals. I don't think that batting average is going to be up there again. It was pretty lucky that he did have a season where he was able to get the batting average so high considering the strikeout rate. And that was very Babbitt driven in 2021, a 366 average. Our 366 BABIP did lead to that 286 average, but you're probably looking at like a 250 hitter who can hit you 20 plus bombs and give you, you know, double digit stolen bases. And Tyler O'Neill is another guy that people are just not drafting. People don't give a shit anymore. They're kind of tired of it. They're like, whatever, I don't care. And I understand it. Now we're going to see him move up a little bit now with the trade once more drafts come in because a lot of them are slow drafts. You don't always get the results right away. Tyler O'Neill is going to be going inside the top 200 occasionally. Right now, he's like 200 to 250-ish range, and the ADP as a whole is still 290. But at that point, still, again, there's not a lot of great outfielders in that range. I would go ahead and take a chance on Tyler O'Neill in pretty much any format. He's at the price there where you can drop him, and it's not really going to hurt you. Three outfielders, five outfielders, 10, 12, 15 team leagues. I would take a chance on Tyler O'Neill this year. 
he's Vlad Sedler's guy. Vlad has been in on this guy for a long time, and I think that we're going to see that kind of pay off this season. If we're patient enough with a guy, usually they come through, especially when the talent's there at such a young age, good ballpark, a lot of good things to like about Tyler O'Neill. Last thing we're going to go over today is the incredibly shitty news that Max Scherzer is going to be missing half of the season. I wish I had known this before I had drafted him, but there you have it. Max Scherzer out until at least June after having back surgery, which was really surprising to me. Um, I think it was Rosenthal that broke the story. It was probably a local Rangers guy, and then one of the national guys took credit for it because that's the world we live in these days. Um, A herniated disc was in his back, and he will start the season on injured list, be sidelined until June at the earliest. So at this point, we're putting Max Scherzer on our do-not-draft list, right? Even if he comes back in June... You're missing three months. We've already talked about how the skills have kind of deteriorated a little bit. I took him one time in that draft because I got him after pick 200. I was a team that was already kind of struggling for strikeouts and for starting pitchers in general. I had Kirby and Eflin as my one and two, from what memory tells me. And then I took Max Scherzer as my third SP. I was thinking, all right, after pick 200, even in bad year like this year, even in a bad year, you're still getting a 377 ERA. You're still getting great strikeouts, even though they're not what they used to be. I figured it was a fine pick after, you know, pick 200. I think it was 210 or 212. But missing half the year, I mean, that's awful. Like, I, it's a draft champions format, so I have no choice but to hold him, and I'll benefit from him if the second in the second half if he comes back. But you are going to have so many players get hurt throughout the season on your team, it's going to make your head spin, right? We all know this. You're going to have probably six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 injuries throughout the season. I don't necessarily want to go into the year with another injury added on top of that. If a guy gets hurt throughout the year and I have to you know, make changes, okay. But to draft injured players, I think, is really shooting yourself in the foot, right? You draft Scherzer and you think, all right, I'll draft an injured player. And then, eh, first week of the season, guy gets hurt. Second week of the season, guy gets hurt. All of a sudden, your injured list is full. You're telling yourself, I can't drop Scherzer. I mean, it's Scherzer, right? And then you do that to yourself for months and months and months, waiting for him to come back to the point where you've just been taking zeros or you've been eating an IL slot that you should have been using for another player, costing yourself an active roster spot in your lineup. So I can't advocate drafting him right now. And if you're in a draft champions, sure, go ahead, fill your boots. I don't know what the ADP is going to settle at right now. It's probably going to be in the four five hundred range, I would guess. I, I honestly don't know. Like he wasn't somebody that was really being drafted very highly up so far this year. Um, so it's not like he's falling from like a first round ADP like we've typically seen with well, not first round, but like you know first round pitcher kind of ADP. You know, a top five, top ten pitcher. At this point, his ADP is where is Max Scherzer one thirty. All drafts, 130. I don't necessarily hate it or love it at that point. Like, before he was hurt, I thought it was fine. Like, I got him after pick 200, so that's where I took him. I don't know about really wanting to take him uh, in this kind of range, though, at all anymore. I mean, I'm not sure about um, draft and hold leagues, honestly. Like, these most recent drafts we're seeing are still, I think, influenced by... um, I mean, right, it happened yesterday. We, We don't have any draft data that happened today. There are people drafting today, but we don't know what exactly the results of those drafts are going to be yet. So I'm honestly curious if it'll be like the 400, 500 kind of range. People will still draft him in those draft and hold leagues because that's where he has value. And it's not a lot, but it's something. But in a redraft league where you're talking, you know, 12 teams, you roster 270 players for the year. 
I don't have any interest in drafting Scherzer. If you want to take him right after the draft and put him on your IL, then you have less attachment. There's no draft equity involved. Then I'm okay with it. But other than that, I think let's just stay away from Scherzer. Pick him up when he comes back, if he comes back, and we'll deal with it there. But that'll do it for us for the week. I really appreciate everybody hanging out, of course. You guys can check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also at EthosFantasyBB and SportsEthos.com. But guys, until Monday, take care, have a great weekend, and cheers. Cheers.